Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center, a podcast about the humanities and interdisciplinarity, produced by the Cohen Center for the Humanities at James Madison University. Welcome to Conversations at the Cohen Center. My name is Connor, and today I am sitting down with Dolores Phillips, Associate Professor of English at JMU and Director of the African, African American, and Diaspora Studies Center, otherwise known as the AAAD Center. Welcome to the podcast, Dolores. Thank you for having me, Connor. I really appreciate spending time with um, with you and your listeners. Awesome. Yeah, we're, we're so excited to have you. Um, so just tell me a little bit about yourself, about your background, like where you're from, where you went to school, all that jazz. Okay. Oh, long winding story. I was, um, because I'm a bit of a nomad, in certain ways my family was military, so we moved around quite a bit. Um, I ended up growing up in the Maryland area, though. I was in the Annapolis area is really where I ended up going to middle school and high school, undergraduate in Gettysburg College. Then I went to University of Maryland for graduate school, and then I ended up working at Old Dominion University down by the water, and now I'm here in JMU. So my, my journey has had tendrils out into other places because of my military background and my mm-hmm. own sort of travel interests and of course the wayward winding journey of 20 year olds who go drifting about doing crazy things I did a little tiny bit of that not too crazy but <laughs> I did do a bit of wandering but I always ended up coming back to the Maryland Virginia area that's that's been home to me yeah that's it's yeah. my home too I'm, I'm from Maryland too. oh wonderful <laughs> yeah so so maybe we didn't grow up very far apart uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, so I started off as a romanticist that was really my background and um, in terms of my research agenda it's started off that way, falling in love with Byron, falling in love with poetry. So I was a Romanticist scholar up until I would say the first chapter of my dissertation. Do not do as I have done. Um, <laughs> when you c- commit early and, and remain remain faithful to the mission. But I stumbled into um, critical theory and cultural studies in graduate school. And I was doing a lot of that sort of on the side. And I found it, found it difficult for me personally to bring those interests together, so I ended up becoming a post-colonialist. And that got me interested in the Black Atlantic, which, of course, is what ended up how I found my way to JMU, because uh, my interest in the Black Atlantic ended up with me understanding African-American culture, Africana cultures, um, a lot of migratory cultures, diasporic cultures, as synthetic, as syncretic, which is a word that just sort of means blended together and kind of mixed up, and as plural, which is what I understood my own identity to be. So I found a home in the Black Atlantic and in post-colonial studies. So that's the sort of ethos that ended up governing how my dissertation ended up being written, which was about food, um, my gravitation toward waste studies. So I think a lot about bodily fluids, bodily emissions. I think about waste in terms of being wasted capacity. I think about mm-hmm. that a lot. So these are the kinds of uh, fascinations that ended up drawing me into the mountains. The mountains of Harrisonburg. Yes, the mountains of Harrisonburg. Awesome. So how did you, you just talked about like how you kind of got started. Right. So what specifically led you to James Madison University and to AAAD? Is there anything that might have inspired you when you were younger? Or is it just like you just kind of, you know, saw interest as you were in academia and that led you to new interests? So that's the problem is that <laughs> I would love to ascribe my moves to a purposeful plan, but I would attribute three quarters of what happens to me 
as happenstance and good luck. And the other 25 is my ability to recognize and capitalize on it. <laughs> uh, because honestly, it's been a set of, of, of fortunate events that, like sort of Lemony Cricket. Lemony Cricket? Lemony Snicket, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so these fortunate events that has led me to where I am. And uh, one of those was meeting my dissertation director, Sangeeta Ray, who encouraged my interests. She trained me. I deeply appreciate her impact on my life because she's the one who nurtured my sensibility of both and. And so as an undergraduate philosophy major, as someone who's interested in critical theory and cultural studies, she nurtured that in me. And so we ended up, um, I ended up in a class with her that was going to be a part of a graduate exchange program. She asked me if I wanted to do it, and it would allow me to go to Germany for six days as part of a University of Maryland graduate student exchange program with the University of Tübingen. And that wrote the essay. For that initiative, I wrote the essay that became my first article and became the anchor for my dissertation and the anchor of my scholarly attention. If she had been in a different place or if she had chosen to teach something different that semester, I might be in a completely different space. Mm. In terms of getting directly to JMU, Dr. Maura Hammetts is the AUH of history. And she had moved here and was involved in the camp in campus life and in campus culture. And she saw a place where I could come and be a bit belligerent. So she introduced me to the Africana Studies Workshop, where I shared an essay that I had written about representations of food in African literature. Mm. And so I have this piece that's in the Rutledge Handbook of African Literature that's about food and sociology. So I shared pieces of that, of that larger piece in the African Studies Workshop. And then I was invited, um, I want to say twice, to the Triple Eighty International Conference to speak about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Again, Dr. Hammett's facilitated that con- that connection, and so she's been really the person who has, I think, played the strongest role in introducing me to the center helping me meet the people who are central to its activities and central to its governance at the time. She's the one who facilitated that connection. And then Steve Reich is, uh, Professor Steve Reich in history is another one who spoke to me quite a bit about what the center does and really saw a place for me there. So when the directorship job ad came up, it was a no-brainer. I was already enchanted with Triple Eighty, and I had committed when I first met people at the center, even if I end up not working here, I still want to be part of the intellectual life of the center. So even if I wasn't here at JMU, if I was still at Old Dominion University, I would probably still be meddling in y'all's business Mm -hmm. because I was very deeply, I was just enamored of what was going on here. I was enamored by the wealth of information people were sharing, by the diversity of people's interests, by the kinds of community-based projects people were doing, and by just the kind of bringing of the whole self that I saw a lot of AAAD faculty and a lot of the leadership actually exhibiting. And I just want to be part of it. So I lucked into (laughs) the moment at which a a national search for a director was taking place. And it was at a moment where I was looking at pivots in my career at Old Dominion University, thinking about what do I want to do next? Where should my journey go? And it happened a little bit earlier than might have been planned, but it happened at exactly the right time at the same time. So I feel incredibly fortunate and very lucky. When I first set foot on this campus, I was looking around just completely just gobsmacked (laughs) at this place and thinking, wow. I mean, every... Every few minutes, I would just, like, stop and go, what? And there was a look on my face, like, oh, my goodness, what? And I just could not believe my good fortune. And then I was selected as the person to run this place. And I feel like I'm very humbled to be given 
the custodianship of this organization and then being invited to build it. it just really, it's like I said, 75 percent happenstance and chance, 25% of being able to make good on that. That's awesome. That's so cool that you were, um, you had these like cross-disciplinary connections mm-hmm. with others in history and because you're an English professor. So it's fun to be able to know other people around campus already, have them build you up, have them already inform you about, you know, what this is all about. But yeah. before you like see the job ad and it's like, oh, like this is, you know, you can kind of get a sense of what you're getting into, which yes. is awesome. And also a sense of the culture that yeah. I'm getting into because it's a very different culture than what I've experienced at Old Dominion University. It's very different from down by the water. It's, you know, you're a little tiny bluish purple pocket in a larger sea of red out here in Rockingham County. Mm. So that kind of, um, that kind of diversity is something that I was, I was informed of well ahead of time. Yeah. So I was not surprised when I got here to see just how vibrant the town is, how multi-ethnic it is. It's my understanding that over 50 languages are spoken in its in its um, K through 12 mm-hmm. classrooms. That it's a sanctuary city that has a very large base of of migrants coming in, passing through, possibly staying. That it's incredibly diverse in a very critical kind of very interesting sort of way. Even as the exterior once you get out into farmlands, once you get out into the more rural areas, is rather homogenous. Mm-hmm. So that kind of split, and then being so close to D.C., yeah. uh, was something that I had gotten the heads up about. So mm-hmm. nothing that I found here has been surprising. Nothing that I found here has been um, alienating because I knew what to expect since I have people that were very kind in terms of recruiting me for the job. Yeah, and I, I find, too, uh, people in Harrisonburg are just kind in general. And very. Yes. I find everyone very friendly friendly like they call it the friendly city and it's it's so it's so true like this is the most diverse place that I've ever lived and I've like never I've always been like welcomed by everyone I've always felt like at home here so it's it's really cool that you were able to come in and see the the diversity around and recognize that you know JMU is like very uniquely situated in Virginia we have a lot of people from out of state a lot of people from in state come here it's it's rather well known which surprised me a little bit too because like I'm also you know from the Maryland area, as I said, and but there's so many people from like Jersey, see some from California, and like out as you know out of the country. So it's it's fantastic. But that's the nature of the university. I mm-hmm. don't think I've ever been to or worked at a university that didn't pull from all over everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, universities are both an intellectual as well as in some ways a literal crossroads where mm-hmm. you end up having all kinds of different influences, all kinds of different people from everywhere. International students, regional diversity. Um, the 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 racial diversity here is, let's be frank, it's fairly homogenous. Yeah. But I found that um, even so, there are there's a real recognition of that here at JMU and a very purposeful address yes. of that kind of cultural need to make sure that what we are pledging in terms of diversity actually is the experience of people on the ground. Mm-hmm. And I'm part of the mission of making that happen. And so even in terms of my positionality as a black faculty member, as someone who is asked to do quote unquote diversity work as mm-hmm. somebody who's asked to pitch in on diversity statements, who's asked to actually make sure that our job searches yield diverse pools mm-hmm. and that we bring diverse bodies to campus as required by our hiring guidelines that we are now putting in place that are coming out of academic affairs, mm-hmm. that we're actually living up to these kinds of policy and um, and cultural pledges that we make all over the place. Those aren't airy, vapid values for me, and they're mm-hmm. not airy, vapid values for the people that 
that they matter to, and they're not arid vapid values for JMU. It's very clear. There's a commitment. Mm -hmm. And so there's a ways to go, and I was invited into that work, and it is not going to be easy, and at times not even pleasant, Mm -hmm. but it's work that we all know needs to happen, and I've gotten nothing but full-throated and enthusiastic support in doing it. So I recognize why I'm here. I know what my mission is. I'm very clear about that. Mm -hmm. It was never hidden from me. It was never... One thing I will say about JMU is that we need you here because, Mm -hmm. and that because has always been crystal clear to me. It's never been really lied about. It's never been hidden. Mm -hmm. And so my task now is just to follow through and to help us reach the commitments that we actually are trying to make culturally. That's really great that they were A, transparent, but B, you're you're really doing something on on campus. And it's really exciting. I know for, I'm not a double Duke, but I have some friends that are, and they've noticed, they're like, yes, it is definitely more diverse than when I was a freshman here. Yes. So that's really exciting to hear. It's really exciting to see. Talk to me just a little bit about how AAAD got started. I know you weren't the person to start it, but you might know a little bit of history about it. And what are some of the current projects and events? And where do you see the center going in the future as it relates to like JMU engagement, community engagement, and beyond? Okay. So um, I'm so glad I asked that that question. And I'm going to try to speak slowly because it's a very, it's a question that excites me in terms of its answer. Mm -hmm. Um, So my understanding, and I am in my first year, so there's a lot that I'm still learning, that AAAD got its start really as the Africans, Africana Studies minor, that it was really student driven. Mm -hmm. It's about making sure that students get exposure to an expertise in Africana Studies. So my understanding is that that's really where it took its root. For 13 years, we just had our third annual international conference. That was also a key core component of building the center. There was a Critical Perspectives and Pedagogies Institute, the CPPI, which allows folks to explore and research sensitive, aware, and culturally sustainable pedagogical practices, what we do in classrooms to be inclusive. It's one thing to say you're inclusive, it's another thing to actually use that sensibility and Mm. apply it in the very difficult circumstances of dealing with difference in your classrooms. So we have that, and then we've got the Africana Studies Workshop, which is an incubator for Africana Studies projects, and then of course there's also our study abroad programs, the, um, there's the Model African Union that we were involved in, so there are all these pieces that were, that were, that were happening simultaneously, and that a number of core faculty we're, we're, we're supporting. Here I'm thinking about Molly Godfrey and I'm thinking about Bessie Mohanjas and mm-hmm. I'm thinking about David um, Owusil Ansa. So I'm thinking about these key individuals who became the nexus of a lot of Africana Studies activities and wanted to make them sustainable, wanted to make them permanent, and then wanted to figure out how to coordinate them so that they are, if not housed under a single umbrella, they're managed in a way that is visible, Mm -hmm. sustainable, has resources, Mm -hmm. and is something that becomes a part of the fabric of JMU. So about two years ago, they they applied for and received a charter to to actually create the African, African American, and Diaspora Studies Center. So we became a center, is my understanding, in 2020, 2020, 2021. And so we're in our second year of being an actual center. And then once they made us into a center, they got a line for a permanent director because a lot of people put a lot of heart, a lot of thought, and a lot of time and energy into building the center's capacities. So it, there's a, really a need for a full-time director to manage all these different things and to also push us in the direction that we're going to go. So because JMU is now an R2, 
the African, African-American and Diaspora Studies Center, studies being our big thing, has been pushed toward um, and is excitedly galloping toward a, a research agenda, a research mission. Mm-hmm. So what we want to do is we want to start seeking out external funding so that our grant pro- our grant supported projects have durability and then we're not scrambling around trying to find resources and we're not spending so much of our time seeking out partnerships. We are attracting, discussing, and strategizing partnerships, but we're not spending a lot of time trying to fabricate them so that we can get the next little thing done. Mm-hmm. We want to make multi-year, large-scale, dendratic, kind of <laughs> tendril-tastic sorts of initiatives that actually bring in all kinds of faculty and interest in development. There's discussion about a graduate certificate in Africana Studies that we're currently working on. Mm-hmm. We're also going to be pushing into fundraising. So I'm looking into advancement and development strategies so that we can actually durably fund a lot of our the things that we want to do, particularly things like study abroad. It's very difficult for students of limited means to travel and in some ways, those are the ones who would benefit most from the experience. So how do we bridge that gap? So what we're looking to do is to establish very stable, rather robust travel support for AAAD minors so that they can actually experience diasporic and Africana places in addition to studying them. So they're not just abstract people and abstract places that you study their history, you think about them in classrooms. What happens when you go there on the ground? What happens when you're actually interacting with activists and community leaders, with politicians, with ministers of parliament, with faculty and institutions in Africa to actually understand on the ground what their wheel is, what their wealth is, what they have, what's going on, where they're going next, instead of just simply studying it in a an American classroom. So being able to give those kinds of resources is something that the, that the fundraising armature of our institute, of our, of our, of our center is going to do. That's, I like the, the term dendratic because you can have so far of a reach and you keep growing. Yes. And it's like having those deep roots within the community, within partnerships, within the graduate school, within undergraduates and being able to have, and, and faculty too, and interdisciplinary work. That's what the Cohen Center is all about is interdisciplinary humanities and being able to to, to have that those connections are so valuable, um, especially just like hearing other perspectives and learning from that too and being able to continue growing with that. Right. We have faculty in every single college on this campus. We have faculty in many, many different departments on this mm. campus. So what we're doing is we are purposefully building outside of Cal. We have a very strong, very stable, energetic representation of Triple AD faculty in the College of Arts and Letters. What's going on with dance? <laughs> What's happening with music? Um, Ch- Chuck Pardo is doing amazing things with jazz. Um, I'm sorry, Chuck. Chuck D- I'm sorry, J- Chuck Dotas is doing amazing things with jazz. He leads the jazz program, and uh, Matt Pardo is doing amazing things with dance. They're currently working on um, hiring a non-Western dance practitioner for the call. You know, for the School of Dance. Mm-hmm. So these kinds of um, you know, how can I support their work? How can I find arts um, funding? for projects that highlight African dance forms and Afri- African, you know, Africana dance students. And, and I use the word Africana on purpose because Africa is a multiracial, multi-ethnic space. And so just calling it African-American or just using black studies can be a bit, it fails to recognize, for example, um, Indo-African people, it fails to recognize Sino-African folks, and it fails to embrace white Africans with their kind of very difficult, very interesting relationship with the continent. Mm-hmm. So I want to spread that out too. And for that, 
course, means that we'll be dealing with anthropology. I want us to bridge, make bridges with the College of Business and think mm. about African economies, African you know economists. I want to think about African engineering, what happens when we go on the ground into African diasporic spaces, thinking that we're doing, quote unquote, development. Mm. And quote unquote aid what is the very complicated terrain of doing that sort of work on the ground so the different relationships that we're building all over the place are allowing us to elevate the visibility of the multi-ethnic multi-racial histories and identities of people from across the diaspora mm-hmm. we've got faculty such as Jamie Swift who's doing work she's a political science uh, she's doing work with Afro-Brazilian studies we also have folks doing Caribbean studies we've got people doing Caribbean art so how how can I take all these folks from all these different areas, get us all together under a single mission and have us see our commonalities and how we can complement each other? What would it mean, for example, to think about an Afro-Caribbean dance studio as a business, right. right? What would it mean to make those kinds of connections? What does it mean to think about, about Africa as the next, and possibly the next major tech hub? on earth Mm. and how can we bring that and make that visible what does it mean to think about issues of global black health these are the kinds of we're reaching out to try to build what we already know is their interest in deeply interdisciplinary matters Mm. that require understanding history understanding economics understanding science and health so these artificial silos that we have that separate especially that that big huge highway that slashes right across campus how can we bridge 81 and how can we build bridges between all the different buildings if we think spatially Mm -hmm. and all the different programs in those buildings to understand how Africana interests are able to be addressed and Mm -hmm. studied within all these multidisciplinary arenas. Mm -hmm. And I love how you frame it as it's everywhere. It affects everyone and you, it reframes your thinking. It's not just a, a, a study and it's not just research, although it can be, you can also apply this to whatever career path you are interested in going in. And it provides that extra layer of understanding um, of others, especially, I mean, healthcare is so important, business, economics, as you said, like all those things that in your general classes you might not think of, but having that extra layer of understanding and knowledge can so benefit your career, especially like when it concerns like diversity, equity, inclusion, even if you go into like the corporate world, that's starting to become much bigger. And so having that knowledge of being able to contribute in that way makes students, I think, have more, just the the worldly knowledge is so valuable in and of itself, but the application of that um, is really is really special too. I also think about the students who are not white. Mm. Uh, how can we how can we recognize, encourage, uplift, educate those folks? How can we provide a home for for recognizing their their issues, struggles, triumphs, pleasures, and 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 all of that? How can we actually bring that into frame too? And so, <clears throat> one of the things that I'm interested in is uh, is really capturing those student lives, those faculty lives, of supporting um, that you know the campus is very homogenous and yet there are folks here who may not feel that is their home how can the how can triple 80 in addition to providing a place where we conduct research where we have events where we actually do scholarship where we um, where we do these kinds of of research 
school-related activities, how can we also provide a place of sociality mm-hmm. for folks who may feel otherwise invisible except for as objects of study? Right. So instead of it just being Africana objects of study, how can we think about recognizing and and encouraging and supporting and networking Africana life right. on this campus? DEI is great. And yeah. DEI can be limited if it remains abstract or if it just simply resides in policy or if it seems to be cut up in different places. Mm. I think that um, CMIS does ma- amazing work. I love the fact that they have literal spaces for people. That matters a lot, being able to have different kinds of community. And so AAAD's task is going to be to also help with that building of community, to support. Uh, there's a well-known statistic Black faculty do not receive the same level of investment in their research in the form of external grant funding. Mm -hmm. And it's not for lack of seeing it. It's because they don't win those grants at the same proportion as their white peers. And that, of course, could pop a drain plug out of your research plans and possibly even your career goals, leaving you. And then plus there's the outsized burden of service that often falls upon minorities and and women and other marginalized people. So knowing these disparities, but what can AAAD do to close some of these gaps and to think about the whole scholar, the whole person, the whole student, the whole faculty member, the whole staff member. Mm-hmm. So that's also a part of what we want to do. We want to make visible and, and provide support, literal material support to people whose areas of study may be cutting edge, new, and possibly even countercultural in academia mm-hmm. um, that can be... Um, made plural so that you can have a multimodal project with different pieces and so that we can network Africana faculty who might otherwise feel siloed. If you're one of two, three, maybe even four in a department of 15, 20, 25, how isolating might that feel? If we can bring people together who share ethnic backgrounds, who share cultural backgrounds, or who just simply want to know what's going on. And here I'm reaching across not just simply just having clusters of Africana faculty talking to each other, but I'm thinking about how to create a space where all of us are talking about talking to each other, all of us are finding community, and all of us are supporting the task of closing gaps that have disproportionately disadvantaged groups of faculty, staff, students who are finding trying to find a home here in a place that might sometimes feel hostile. Right, right. That's such a great point. It makes me think of um, in graduate school, I find it's a much smaller community. It can be really difficult to meet new people and to have meaningful conversations outside of your current discipline. You don't get the same amount of support coming in, and that you know, there's no like freshman seminar. Like you don't, you don't have like that whole orientation thing that you did when you were a freshman. So, how, how do you like kind of rope grad? faculty and grad students into all of this. What are your thoughts about like graduate involvement um, in AAAD? So we do have GA ships. Yay. So keep out for that. Keep on the lookout for those. But you're right. We could be a lot more purposeful about thinking about graduate researchers. I find that JME was very supportive of the success and the richness of academic life for its undergraduates. Does that leave room for support for graduate students? I think it really does, that Mm -hmm. we need to be purposeful about that, too, because graduate students have a different set of needs. Um, There's a whole different kind of professionalization that you need to have. If you're a master's student thinking about going into a PhD program, Mm -hmm. if you're a PhD student thinking about going into industry, these are very, very different kinds of mentorships that are required 
required. That said, I'm wondering if if we are successful at creating an Africana Studies graduate certificate, mm-hmm. if that might be a way of establishing the kind of support that you're talking about. Yeah. Because there is a presumption. If you're a graduate student, you know the game. You've been around the block at least once. So who needs freshman orientation for y'all? I mean, and no, there's still a, even as a faculty member in her first year, I have benefited greatly from the warm welcome that I received, both formally as a faculty member slash employee coming on deck, as well as a member of the community. So how can we make sure that graduate students receive that kind of support? At this point, we welcome graduate student involvement in all sorts of dimensions. I'm thinking about, we've had graduate students, I want to say, present at the AAAD conference. Mm-hmm. I think we've had graduate students presenting work at the Africana Studies Workshop, but I would have to check into the history of that. But these are spaces where fledgling scholars who are thinking about this as a profession mm-hmm. can find community, can find workshopping, can find mentorship. Uh, but I also think it's really a case that once you get that deeply into your discipline, there's generally a faculty member that you end up adopting yes. as your mentor. And that person can also, that person's a triple AAAD faculty member, that can definitely provide all kinds of inroads. But I can see what you're talking about. I can imagine that for Africana graduate students, it can be a little bit doubly isolating. You're mm-hmm. at a PWI and you're a graduate student who's expected to be able to find your feet pretty easily because you've been there, been there, done that. Mm-hmm. But also you're trying to figure out your place in the discipline. You're trying to figure out your place in industry. You're trying to do all of this kind of meta work with um, being an academic. And if you're somebody from a marginalized community, how does that add additional issues that need to be accommodated or possibly even adapted to or celebrated? Right. Yeah. So it ends up being, um, I think that that ends up being a charge that AAAD will happily take up is how to make sure that um, graduate students who are interested in our area or who are part of the affinities that are our, our locus of concentration, how those folks can be served. And that graduate certificate sounds so interesting. Would that be in addition to like what someone might be doing in their master's or PhD yes. programs? Yes. What, what would that entail? Like, Do you have any ideas or is this still just working out? Still just working out. Stay tuned, <laughs> true believer. Awesome, awesome. Well, you said that you are new to the town of Harrisonburg. It's your first year as at JMU, is that correct? Yes. So... How have you seen the town embrace AAAD or even just general like diversity? But beyond that, how how have you seen the town interact with JMU in those regards? And are there any like projects or events in collaboration with the town of Harrisonburg or beyond? Like what what are you envisioning with that? I'm curious. So we do have some faculty members who are doing community engaged work, and I'm still learning that terrain. So I don't want to speak too far out of school about what those activities are. Mm-hmm. I know that we have, a through Molly Godfrey, we have a very rich, very productive relationship with the Sims Center downtown, mm-hmm. and um, or uptown. I think that that's where, that, where the Sims Center is. It's in town somewhere. Yeah, it's in t- <laughs> I think it's, on the nor- it's definitely on the north side, so by Wolf Street. Oh, gotcha. Um, so it's, we, we do have a collaborative project that is still in process and development and growth that's incredibly productive and has been um, life-sustaining for both, you know, for both AAAD as well as for um, the Sim Center. There are other folks that are doing a lot of stuff in town. Mm-hmm. My task will be to figure out how to organize, recognize, and support that work if that support is desired. Mm. So that's another kind of stay tuned, true nice. believer kind of thing, because we haven't really, as an organization, developed a formal 
actual relationship with the town outside of having an external advisory board that is involved in the community outside of having contacts and projects. But my role as the conductor of all of that activity will be to bring it in, make it for, make it you know, formalize it, recognize it, and make it prominent and establish networks with it. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, I think, check back in a year or two <laughs> and see what we're up to because that, that's a definite ambition of ours. Awesome, awesome. Yes. What is it, what would you say is your favorite part about JMU and the Harrisonburg community and or anything? You said that nothing's really surprised you. Um, why, why do you think that is? So um, part of it is because I have had conversations with JMU, JMU, citizenry um, for about, I would say, a year, possibly two, mm-hmm. before I even thought of this as a possible job for myself, as a possible place I could find a home. I still feel a little bit surprised because of, this was not my original plan. My original pa- plan was um, one and done, ODU forever, monarch for life. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are just certain opportunities that you would be a fool to pass up. And right. this was one of those. I mean, I never, if you ask the, the me a year ago where she would be, this would be the last place that she would even think that she would be. So it's been, um, it's been, I don't want to say surreal, but it's a, it's definitely been um, almost kind of dreamlike in, at certain points. So life in Harrisonburg has been warm. It has been welcoming. It has been, um, I don't live far from campus. I don't live far from downtown. So it's just nice to be able to get up one day and say, you know what? I feel like having a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. I'm going to just go stroll two blocks and go get my sandwich. So that kind of um, very, very close, very intimate sort of life, which I've always wanted to have Mm -hmm. as my professional life. That's been really important to me, and I've just have been so gratified to find it here. In terms of not being surprised, if I may speak frankly, I recognize the part of the state that I'm in, Mm -hmm. and so there is a barn with a giant stars and bars Mm -hmm. that greets me when I get to where I'm like, okay, I'm in the mountains and I'm home. So, and that happens every time I'm on 64, about to hit 81 to come up. This is not a Disney utopia. Paradise. It is a test, a college town that is situated in a very red part of um, of the state of Virginia. In a time where, where I am a divisive concept, my very body is a divisive con- is, is a divisive concept. My history is um, under legal assault in certain parts of the country. Um, my the sense of who I am, advocating for my rights, is seen as a violent anti-American attack on the fabric of our civic structure. Mm-hmm. So knowing that where I am has been, like I said, I haven't been surprised. I've been ple- I, I've been gratified by the warmth of my welcome, but I am no fool. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I recognize where I am geographically. I recognize where I am politically. And so address, you know, having conversations with people who don't share my political stripe has been very gratifying. Mm -hmm. Just enjoyed one with a lovely gentleman who was just trying to figure some of these things out. And so we, it was very impromptu. It was, um, he was there to do a different kind of a job, but we struck up a conversation and he began asking me some pointed questions that I felt very well equipped and very comfortable at answering. Mm. In part because of the, the, the support that I get from the College of Arts and Letters, from academic affairs, and from this campus as a whole, I'm able to have these very frank, very open, naked conversations about who we are, 
where we are and where we want to be and where we want to go and how to get there together. Mm. So it's not been um, a romp in the roses, but it certainly has been um, incredibly fruitful, incredibly positive, incredibly nurturing, and it's been good for my personal, psychological, physical, and professional health. Uh, that's so great that you are supported and feel equipped to have these open conversations, especially because they're so necessary in yes. today's political sphere. I'm really happy that you have been so welcome to Harrisonburg, and thank you for sharing all of that. To wrap up, I know that after our listeners hear this podcast, they're going to want to see you. They're going to want to meet you. Sure. So beyond AAAD, can you just describe really quickly the classes that you teach and you know a little bit about them, just so like students might know what to expect when they're registering? <laughs> So my academic home is in English, and I um, am developing a very warm relationship with the faculty in that department. Those are my those are my people. Mm-hmm. And um, Becky Childs is the chair of the department, and she has just been an absolute godsend to work with. I have just enjoyed every moment of her company, every moment of her support. She's another part of the support structure that has been given my life. Such wonderful texture since I've been at, been at JMU. So for her department, I teach literature, culture, and ideas. Which And I've also taught literature and ideas, which basically is here is an empty canvas. Paint your vision. Mm -hmm. And so what I've been doing, however, um, and I'm new here at JMU, so I'm trying to figure out the academic culture still. I'm trying to figure out who my students even are. And I'm still trying to get my feet under me in terms of um, the kinds of timelines and wavelengths that things ride along here. So um, what I've been doing, it has been, I've been bringing post-colonial theoretical constructs into classes. I've been thinking about citizenship and belonging. I've been thinking a lot about migration. I've been thinking a lot about deconstruction, where you basically take a thing that you think has just two sides and you illustrate how that's actually a false equivalent, a false, a false binary, mm. and you have these overlapping, weird competing interests that actually require the false binary to remain to remain in place and to insist upon its binariness. So I've been taking apart a lot of those things in my classes. That has been the foundational energy of what I do. And as somebody who studies posthumanism a lot, this semester has been a combination of posthumanism and postcolonialism that we bring postcolonial theory, postcolonial studies, and posthumanism together to understand who gets to be a person, who gets to be a citizen, who gets rights, mm. how are those apportioned across lines of what what might what, what what might seem radical points of difference? How is the humanistic tradition itself erected these what seem to be inviolable hierarchies and organizations of peopledom and animaldom and mineraldom? How does it actually apportion these things out? And what does that mean in terms of ethics? What does it mean in, in terms of mutual responsibility? How does that work itself out in our contemporary uh, ecological era, our actual geographic era? geological era of the Anthropocene and also our moment as in, in the early 21st century. So I'm asking students to take on these really interesting questions in that course. So we're reading things like Story of a Goat, which mm-hmm. is set in, uh, set in India. We're, we just finished reading Slave Old Man by Patrick Chamoiseau. Um, we've just finished, we read Clara and the Sun by Kazuo Ishiguro, a novel I cannot recommend highly enough, especially if you're worried about ChatGPT taking over the world and becoming Skynet. So mm. that these kinds of questions are, w- are what are populating my, my understanding. But next semester, 
semester, I'll be teaching um, a class in critical theory, in, in how to read, how to read literature. It's going to be one of the introductory classes for folks coming into the major. And so I'll be thinking with English students about, okay, so here are our hermeneutics. Here are our analytical lenses. Here are all the ways that we read and the history behind these schools of thought. And so you can now find your hermeneutic. You can find your toolbox for going into the major competently and confidently. How do we actually create knowledge in the English in English studies, mm. in the English major? How do we how do we create these things? And how is our area no longer your mama's English major? I mean, because we we are very much into cultural studies. We're very much into digital studies and textual studies. Mm. All these different kinds of things that we do now to actually create knowledge in the discipline. And I think that one of the things that English is working on is how to tell the story of how we do what we do. We don't just sit under trees with big thick books. We do that too. That's great. <laughs> but we don't just do sit under trees with big thick books looking like we know things. We actually are very much interested in how to crack into the black box of history. We're very interested in what an aesthetic education means and how it works. We're very interested in things like who gets to read, who gets to be literate, and what does that look like. We're, we're interested in how literature becomes a, a, almost like a like a the kind of dream work that Freud tells us happens that it how how it synthesizes the content of our of our, of our everyday lives so i want to give people tools to do that work and so that's what i'm doing next semester in english so i don't see them as separate but i see my service to the department as i am a departmental citizen when i am wearing my english associate professor hat but in every other dimension of my life i am the triple eighty director so that's um i i can be found lurking about this <laughs> campus doing all kinds of wonderful things but it's it's really a case for the english department having white faculty exploring african-american and african diasporic life in their classrooms and having black faculty doing the work core to the discipline in our classrooms so that we can see that anybody really can do anything they want and it's I, and i i sense of my sensibility of it is it's incredibly liberating that is so exciting and inspiring, and I hope that our listeners and myself see you more often around campus. <laughs> you be buzzing around. I, I, I am in Moody 108A, um, generally in the middle midpoint of the week, so feel free to stop by. Um, I would like an email, uh, though, to let me know if you're going to be around any other points in the afternoon, so I, can, I would love to meet your listeners. I can be reached at P-H-I-L-L-I-D as in dog, B as in boy, at JMU.com edu or triple ad studies at jmu.edu uh, it's aaad studies at jmu.edu all one word stop drop me a line stop by anytime awesome well thank you so much for speaking with me on the podcast today it was an absolute pleasure it was a pleasure too thank you for having me thank you for listening to conversations at the cohen center make sure to follow us at instagram and twitter at jmu cohen center and be on the lookout for more conversations at the Cohen Center.